Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the latest in theaters, streaming, and on demand. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me is no one this week. Arturo locked himself in the bathroom at Scar's Pizza, so I'm all alone talking about movies catching up with all of y'all not not all alone i guess but i i'm i'm alone here too my uh non-platonic roommate caitlin is off at the new york film festival watching movies while i am not uh even my dog abandoned me this week she's off with uh at my parents place so yeah i'm i'm just here to chat movies with all of you and i'm, I'm excited to catch up with some of the things that we've uh, been seeing at the New York Film Festival and outside of the New York Film Festival and uh, see, hearing what all of you have been watching in theaters. Speaking of which, we should start it out with the big star-studded release of the weekend, the one on everyone's minds. Of course, we're talking about Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile with uh, a star-studded cast, a, a movie about a family that moves to New York City and finds a singing crocodile in their attic. You have Sean Mendez as Lyle, Scoot McNary, Constance Wu, Brett Gelman, and Javier Bardem. Now, I, I gotta say, uh, Javier Bardem is kind of great in this one. I don't know if it's necessarily like Anton Sugar levels of acting, but he's got this kind of committed without an ounce of bashfulness to his performance quality that I was like really I don't know I, I at least respected if not really enjoyed because he's very gonzo very go for broke very goofy in this movie literally as a like song and dance man who's contorting his faces in like almost Jim Carrey-esque ways maybe not to that level but like way beyond what I would expect at least from the Oscar winning actor uh really really just going for broke in this film uh there's also a sequence early in the movie where Josh who's new to New York City and trying to navigate the city is going to school and I thought it was actually a really effective bit of filmmaking that gives you that like overwhelming feeling that you can get from like being in a particularly crowded uh, foreign to you city. Um, so what else, what else to talk about with Lyle, Lyle crocodile? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was very funny that they found a way to cast Sean Mendez without making him do any acting. Because Lyle Lyle does not talk in this movie. He's a, a singing crocodile. He will he will give you his emotions through song, uh, but he won't just, like, answer yes or no. I mean, I guess he can shake his head yes or no. Maybe they should be, like, working on some kind of system like the, the dinging of the bell in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul to, like, spell out words. I don't know. Uh Either way, I do think I have this weird, like, a bit of a block with, like, <laughs> just that frustration of, like, I, I I just want you to talk. Or, like, also, I, I don't like it in musicals when they acknowledge that they're singing. I think they should just sing as if that's, like, the talking itself. But that's my personal biases aside. I thought this one was really sweet. I thought that it was a pretty charming, pretty light a pretty enjoyable family film, one that I think that is not going to be too punishing for the older persons who are accompanying the younger persons too. I do have some questions about the character design. Uh, maybe it could use some tweaks. There, there were moments that gave me that kind of like, oh, it, it's so cute. It's just like my dog feeling. And, and then there's other times where it was just kind of like a, a scary crocodile. Not sure how it will go over with like the youngest kids in the audience, but yeah, I mean, overall, I I think it's genuinely pleasant and, and don't really have complaints on it from a uh, kids' movies perspective. I see uh, Classic Reviews says that they uh, had fun with Lyle. Um, Bruce Wayne also had fun with Lyle. Devesh saying that it's been 
a minute since Constance was last filmed. Yeah, I mean, I think she's popped up here and there. I'm forgetting what else. Maybe, uh, maybe Letterbox can tell us what she's been in recently because I feel like there's something there. I feel like this is also going to be maybe like a more gingerly paced podcast since I don't have uh, Arturo to help me fill in all my gaps. But yeah, it has been a little bit of a minute since we've gotten a lot of Constance Wu and something, unless you count some of the footage in uh, the Jennifer Lopez documentary. Uh, but yeah, Lyle, decently fun. Uh, can't really complain about it given that it's successful at what it's aiming for, I feel like. Uh, in terms of not necessarily being successful at what it's aiming for, let's talk a little bit about Amsterdam, a film set, it says in the 1930s, but there's a little bit of bouncing around, about three friends, a doctor, a nurse, and an attorney who witness a murder, become suspects themselves, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in North American history. Uh, you might notice I got the, the Amsterdam posters up behind me that we we picked up at the theater uh would you all stop hanging out with me if i if i went hard like pro amsterdam everyone else out there's wrong this is a it's a masterpiece david o russell's back and, and those those mean things people are saying about him aren't fair no that's that i'm david russell is a trash bag there's like the groping accusations from his transgender niece there's the history of onset bullying and onset fights with people like george clooney amy adams which i just learned about this week lily tomlin which you can youtube the video of and it, it's not the most pleasant uh watch amsterdam for the most part i did think was a decently pleasant watch but i don't think that means it's a good movie it's one of david O'Russell's biggest assets as a filmmaker is his ability to put together like a huge star-studded cast and i i think that does lend obviously to the watchability of, of his movies and this one is about as star-studded as they come you know you have christian bale who personally i put in the conversation of best working actor and he gets to be a disfigured weirdo which is like his absolute favorite thing to do but you know he does a fun voice that's a different accent from the ones he does in his other movies like even there's like a small clip that's playing in the trailers of him saying what that it, it makes me laugh every time just because his weird pronunciation of it but uh yeah he's a very gifted actor and is often fun to watch his choices margot robbie also fun and electric and I don't really think her character makes a whole lot of sense, but she's always charming and, and has this radiance to her. Uh, John David Washington, mostly just there. He, he kind of is a straight man to his scene partners. I didn't dislike him in this movie. I just kind of think he had less to do, less broadness, if that's what you want to label it as. Uh, Rami Malek is somebody who I think got the strange tonal balance of the film best he's mysterious and funny and i don't know I, I think he does a really good job in his scenes and i think mike mars is also particularly fun in the role the problem is the movie completely falters for me in its plotting and its pacing it's a movie about this like vast conspiracy to overthrow political parties and all it takes for christian bale to uncover it is going to like three people's houses and having like a couple conversations it, it also like does a lot of its storytelling through these long flashbacks the kind of flashbacks that make the movie stop dead in its tracks while you like wait for them to explain 10 minutes of backstory to and then get back to the actual movie itself Th there's just like a, a lifelessness to the progression of it and where in a movie like this for it to work that whole idea of like you're uncovering this vast conspiracy you need to feel that pull down the rabbit hole there's no pull at all to this movie you know that you know when you go to the beach and they say oh there's dangerous currents today there are no dangerous currents in this movie it is hoping that you are going to dive in yourself and i don't know it just wasn't the in, waters weren't that inviting if i want to take this analogy a little bit too far i i I guess I enjoyed like individual line readings, but not really a lot of scenes because there's like this, this lack of cohesion to it in a simple, why does B follow A? Like 
it doesn't feel like a movie that's going ABC. It feels like a movie that's skipping letters entirely, like A, F, J, X, Z. Um, yeah, classic reviews saying they left feeling really confused. Uh, Devesh mentioning that this is going to be one of the biggest box, flop, box, box office flops of the year, which you might not think it would be, but given how star-studded its cast is and the period setting, and it does jump all over the place, it's not just 1933. You get uh, some World War One footage, some stuff in Amsterdam. I don't know if they were actually traveling internationally and stuff, but the, the sets are in costumes and all, all that are lavish. So I don't know. Uh, it, it just kind of inert and not what I was hoping for because... I, look, I'll admit it. Like I'm, I'm a fan of the occasional David O. Russell film. Uh, I did not particularly like American Hustle, but you know, Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter, I Heart Huckabees all worked for me. I, I kind of think this wanted to be almost like I Heart Huckabees, but then with this like conspiracy thing going on. But I don't know. Did not really work for me, uh, and does not seem to be working for a lot of people either, because it is, as Devesh alluded to, pretty unsuccessful at the box office right now. Um, not that that's like our ultimate judgment of a movie, but you know, we notice it. You, you tend to notice these things when, uh, when they're reported on and discussed and, uh, the budgets are out there. The box office is out there. We, we were talking about it with bros too. So I guess this is just like comment on how much money your movie is going to lose season at the, at the box office. I don't know. Uh, a movie that does not seem to be doing too bad financially, at least right now, is Tar, the new Todd Field film. I believe this has the weekend's highest per theater average in the U.S. Uh, made something like $40,000 per theater. Uh, the very limited release, I think, just New York and L.A., uh, but it is expanding to more theaters this weekend, and I think it will continue to expand throughout the month. Uh, I really really enjoyed this one i saw it a week ago and now i think i am only like enjoying it more and more my, my appreciation for it is deepening um i think i've been seeing a lot of the initial response is really trying to discuss the film in terms of cancel culture and i get it like that's a hot button topic right now but i, I don't know it, it's definitely an element in the film but i also think it simplifies what's going on in tar in a way that i dislike it, it, there's so much more happening in this movie there's so much to dig into um and i think not just in terms of elements of the plot and elements of the character i think lydia tar is just extremely fascinating creation of todd fields that you can analyze as like what does it mean to be revered as this genius and what do we what are the things that we do to sell ourselves on certain realities but also like that this film is so structurally interesting and 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 on a craft level is so interesting and the way that it embraces music i don't know there's a lot of interesting things to talk about and i hope that it doesn't get reduced down to this movie says x about cancel culture because that frankly is like i think one of the most boring ways uh to approach the film so you know i keep keep your mind open uh try to try to pick up all you can i'm very excited to see more reactions to tar as more people get a chance to see it uh, Ants movie is saying that it's hitting Chicago this weekend. So hopefully you get to check that out soon. Um, Classic Reviews is asking if this is one of those movies where the runtime adds to the film and works well. I, I mentioned this on last week's stream, but I think the runtime is one of the things that really does elevate what's going on here because you end up spending so much time with her in this world that when some of the plot kicks in it doesn't feel like the plot kicking in in the way that a lot of movies you can feel the tug of the screenwriter trying to pull you along the, the page right like you're just sort of existing in the world and then things start to happen and i i think for me particularly because i think the plot is maybe not my most the thing that i found most interesting about this movie 
it helped me not focus on the plot. So I'm hoping that's also how other people uh, interpret it, take it in, live with it. I don't know. Definitely looking forward to some more intercuity reactions to Tar uh, once that one gets around because it's still not in a lot of places. Um, another movie that I think is starting to make its way around... Triangle Sadness, the latest from Ruben Ostlund, the twice Palme d'Or winning filmmaker behind Force Majeure and The Square. This one also was a Palme d'Or winner. Uh, it's a very interesting class comedy, and I think there's a lot of things I really like about it. I'm, I'm again... Very curious to see people's reactions to it because I don't think there that this is a movie that is setting itself up to be easily liked, right? Like I almost think that this movie is daring you to dislike it in certain ways while also not necessarily being the the most challenging movie. It's a I don't know. It, it's I, I don't know if it's necessarily like the most complex as much as it is just like abrasive or, or I don't know uh, because there are these gratuitous scenes that are kind of gross that uh, will probably put people off like even if you look at the the poster not this one but the the uh, vomit poster that is out there like that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people will see and just not want to uh, not want to hang with the movie. There's a way that this movie progresses because it's sort of divided into three chapters. And um, I think a lot of what happens sort of, again, just sort of happens and doesn't necessarily go from A to B in a sense that uh, <laughs> most people will, will like, will be familiar with, right? Like it, it's got some unconventional pacing to it. Um, but I think what I hope is that, especially because this is another film, speaking of, uh, long run times that has a very long runtime. I believe this one is right around two and a half hours at 149 minutes. Um, does it feel a bit overlong? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely, you know, started to feel my lower back in my seat and, and squirmed around a bit, uh, as the movie got towards the second half. But at the same time, I think that it, uh, giving it room to breathe, you get all these really wonderful moments, these, these really interesting subversions of, of people's characters, of, of people's situations. Uh, you just end up, I don't know, uh, you end up at so many interesting places that, you know, as long as you don't aren't too anxious to go to the bathroom or anything like that. I think there's so much to like here. I think there's so many fun moments. I think this is also going to be a much easier watch for uh, an impatient audience than his last two films. So if you maybe found force majeure a little bit slow or, or especially the square a little bit slow, there's just so much stuff happening here that you might not be as turned off by it. Uh, but it's, it's a very fun movie. Um, not necessarily the most, you know, brilliant critique of capitalism out there, but, sh but a very fun and interesting thought exercise for sure with some great performances. Uh, you know, uh, of course, tr tragically, Charlie Dean, who's, uh, who died suddenly, um, I think it was like a month and a half ago already, uh, right as this movie is starting to come out, it it's, um, very, terrible uh time uh, very terrible but obviously uh just getting to see her performance it's um that just see, feels that much more tragic getting to see how wonderful she was in this film um but i think the standout for me is dolly de, de leon who ends up really really dominating the last act of this movie yeah i don't know uh a lot to like about it um devesh asking how i'd rank his three major films I think I'd still go force majeure at the top for me. I, I just find that film to be so fascinating and uh, <laughs> just the way it plays out is so kind of like deliciously dark. Uh, I enjoy it. I might go triangle sadness under this, that one. And then the square, uh, there's just a lot to really 
a lot more, I laughed more at Triangle of Sadness, I think, ultimately. All right, so let me know what else y'all have been watching. I, I do see uh, some people saying that they uh, were trying to see see how they run. That's one of the movies that I missed over the past you know month or so of doing various uh, film festival stuff. I feel like I'm a little bit out of the loop. Like I still haven't seen Bros. I still haven't seen uh, The Woman King. Um, there's got to be some other stuff there. I'm finally catching up on some of my TV. Um, I was also finally catching up on the big Netflix release that was controversial and got the people talking, got, got film Twitter up in a stir. Blonde, Andrew Dominic's latest, the <laughs> nearly three-hour depiction of Marilyn Monroe's downfall. Is that is that an appropriate word to use? I don't even know how to describe it because this film is so like indulgent in the upsetting nature of so many of the things that some that happened to her, some that we just know generally happened in that era of Hollywood uh, and, and using her as the vessel for all of these, <laughs> all of all of this like belated takedown of the part patriarchal structure. I don't know. I think ultimately Blonde has some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen in a bad movie. There are certain sequences that are quite compelling in their imagery and haunting. And there's like a, there's a certain quality to the way in which when her life is really starting to devolve and, and, and spin out of control and out of her control and, and challenge her health that I think really it evokes like this almost supernatural quality to her, <laughs> to Hollywood stories to to Hollywood people um I, without going too deep into it hopefully if you are that curious you've had a chance to see it but there's like a sequence involving mouths that I thought was like straight out of like a great horror film um but it's ultimately just so indulgent so excessive and ultimately like repetitive and pretty monotonous in its punishing of the Monroe character. I want to call her because it's like, I almost feel like this film could have worked better if it was about some fictional actress, but it, it also wouldn't fix how stupid this movie often feels. It's analysis. It feels like very surface level. All the daddy issues stuff hits you like a sledgehammer. I, I wanted to have a reason to defend this one because I do really like so much of Andrew Dominic's stuff. I, I think the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is it's a brilliant film. I also uh, have a really soft spot for killing them softly is uh 2012 film with Brad Pitt as an assassin and uh, uh, Ben Mendelsohn as a strung out heroin junkie, which I don't know, maybe I got to rewatch some of those scenes, but uh, uh yeah, it like, if the goal is to make me empathetic to some of the awful things that happened to Marilyn Monroe, then I guess it's successful, but I also like already was there. I think most people <laughs> were already there. I, I don't know. Um, it, 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 it's so, um, it's so it's so excessive and so indulgent. It just it almost crosses the point of being told in this like empathetic lens and goes into this very harsh, like punishing type. Of, I don't know a punishing type of perspective that makes me feel like it's like meant for people who are going to enjoy this kind of thing. I don't know, and it just it feels icky. I didn't enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know. Seeing some uh, opinions on Blonde, that it might be inept, that it is beautiful looking, that uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have seen some people defending it, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely getting majority hate. And like, I, whenever I start to see that kind of bandwagon of opinions, I do almost reflexively approach a movie like, well, maybe everybody's wrong, <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't do it with this one. I, I just, I didn't, I don't know. Um, maybe there's a, and maybe this is why Netflix <laughs> seemed to be so insistent that he cut it down, that he cut away from the NC-17 stuff. Uh, maybe there's like a two-hour version of this that wouldn't feel quite so gross. I, I doubt it, but I don't know. I, I couldn't hang. I'm sorry. Uh, that one was tough. Uh, we are going to talk about some New York Film Festival movies next week uh, because we are going to uh, get Art back. He'll also be doing some Chicago International Film Festival stuff. We're going to hopefully have some other people who were at the New York Film Festival join us so we can recap some of those films. Uh, I will say that there have been a lot of really great films. I know some people are seeing Women Talking right now. Uh, that one's really good. Uh, we didn't talk about Bones and All really last week uh, when Art and I were were on the pod, and I <laughs> enjoyed it quite a bit and a bit more than I expected to as well. Uh, I don't know. There's just a quality to it that I wasn't expecting, whether it's how earnestly it's told or how sparing it is in its kind of in its in its glare right it, it's not necessarily going too heavy into a melodrama romance or too heavy into kind of like campy horror it does this interesting balance of tones that i don't know weirdly reminded me of twilight in that it's it's packaging a love story inside some genre settings but it's not so genre-y so as to so as to alienate a audience that wouldn't go to a horror movie. Um, I don't know. There's a lot that I liked about this one. My letterbox review called it prestige twilight, but I'm almost more akin to uh, relate it to the Andrea Arnold film, American honey. I, my stupid pun that nobody would get unless I specifically say American honey is that you could call this movie American hungry. Um, I, I really liked this one. I think Luca's vibe really works well with the material. Uh, Taylor Russell is excellent here in the lead role. I thought she was just sort of mysterious and, and uh, empathetic, but like has this quality to her <laughs> that uh, there's a lot going on under the surface of her, of her character and Timothy Chalamet just keeps being solid in these kind of films. I, I expected to, I, I kind of wanted to have a more adverse reaction to, to him playing like the, the charming boy who comes along and uh, she falls in love with right away, but he's just got this kind of cool disaffected quality that is a little bit undeniable. He sells his lines really, really well. I think what might, otherwise come across as kind of like angsty and angry in a in a contrived way just sort of flows out of him and i was really into it um mark rylance comes along and is uh <laughs> is like just i don't know uh maybe out of a different movie but kind of hilarious and amazing in his role uh i don't know i i I want to talk with uh, with Art more about this one so that we can go a bit back and forth. But this was definitely one of my top films that I've seen um, so far from the festival. And I did want to throw that out there because we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. Um, that Tar, Women Talking, uh, Showing Up, another movie that I, I don't know if we've had a chance to talk about on uh, the podcast yet. But this is the latest one from Kelly Reichert. Uh, it is a small film about an artist who works at an arts college um, hoping to mount a new show and dealing with some family issues as well as a pigeon that's broken its wing. 
uh, Michelle Williams stars, also Hong Chow, uh, John Magaro shows up for a bit, Judd Hirsch. Uh, and this is very lo- a cool, low-key movie. I think if you've seen Kelly Riker films, you know that she has a certain patient style, meandering style uh, that isn't necessarily like propulsive in the way that, you know, like an action film might be. Uh, and this extremely uh, falls under that category in that it's it's very much a vibes movie. It's very much a, a slice of life type of film. It's one of those films where you, you might be watching it for a bit, waiting for the plot to kick in, waiting for some kind of shoot a drop and the stakes to really get severe and it, it never really does like some stuff happens, but it's kind of just like her living her life. And I don't know, it reminded me in its approach a bit of a film that I know a lot of people have a really uh, warm place for in uh, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, the Adam Driver film, uh, which also is a bit of like an anti-drama uh, like this one. I don't know if this necessarily reaches the same type of like existential mood levels uh, and kind of like philosophical uh you know discussions of the that last of of patterson but just in terms of its vibes like I, it totally worked for me um i know that both arturo and amanda are not necessarily on the same page as me they they were a bit bored it's gonna bore a lot of people maybe don't see it if you get bored by slower movies but i think if you uh liked first cow or if you just are into like kind of a a slice of life look at the struggle the struggles and minutia of go that go into being an artist you might find something to really respond to in this one um connor says he's so excited for showing up especially the comparison to uh patterson uh michelle williams always incredible in kelly's work and not sure if anything will be as good as Wendy and Lucy, but I'm definitely not expecting something that devastating from this. Yeah, not as devastating for sure. And I love Wendy and Lucy. I don't know if I would say that this is uh, as good as Wendy and Lucy, but it's, uh, even though I guess I got to change my letterbox rating for it, even though, I don't know, um, uh, what I did find very interesting about this, if you know anything about Kelly, uh, Kelly Riker, you might know that aside from directing feature films, she teaches at Bard College. And in that way, it does feel a lot like this is meant to be kind of autobiographical. That also uh, extends the fact that Michelle Williams gives this kind of like unfeeling, unsmiling, stoic performance in the film that comes across a lot like Kelly Reichert does in her interviews. I don't know. It might be might be worth looking up a Kelly Reichert interview before or after catching showing up. It might uh give you a a like AR quality to the movie or a, like a extra textual quality uh to the film. I liked it a lot. We will get more into uh, the rest of the New York Film Festival stuff, as I said on um, our next stream, hopefully did want to hit a couple more things before we talk about the new to see, uh, including House of the Dragon, episode five. I know not everybody is going to be uh, caught up on this one right now. I don't want to necessarily get into too many specifics because of that. But this week was like another intense power struggle where allegiances and the freedoms that characters feel comfortable navigating all plays into the dramatic stakes. Uh, The way that this episode in particular navigates what happens when King Viserys is in a room versus what happens when he's not in a room, I did think was like very smart and very compelling, but beyond just the tug of the tug of war of it all this week, I think hit a new high in terms of, what the show has been able to accomplish because there is this like interpersonal storyline that I gotta be honest really got me it, it it's also again why they were so wise to cast Patty Considine in the role of King Viserys because he gives this extremely emotional speech this this monologue of an old man who's witnessed his family uh grow apart as as he's seen, watched over them 
and the way in which it just sort of feels like a, a, a culmination of so many tensions in the show and just this like respite from the tension to to kind of acknowledge uh the humanity of these characters I, I it touched me in a way that i was not expecting the the dragon show to to do i got a little misty-eyed i'm not gonna lie i just want to be completely honest with you since you're my inner cuties and i you know i think we have that kind of relationship now um it's good this show's good i wanted to be cynical about it and say that it couldn't really do the things that game of thrones do- did but um one season in i am more into this show than I was one season into Game of Thrones. Whether or not it can keep that up, I I don't know, but I've been pretty satisfied through eight episodes. I know uh, I might be a little more solidly in than maybe like the average person is, but there's also like a huge audience tuning out for this thing right now. I think it's averaging like 28 million viewers per episode. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm pretty it, it i'm pretty into it uh classic review is saying that the, he got extremely bored with the first episode i don't know man i mean first of all were you into game of thrones second of all you gotta you gotta like vibe with it you gotta like get into like the dynamics of the characters for it to really kick in for sure but at the same time i will say like these are long episodes i don't know if i need over 60 minutes of game of thrones action per week i'd be happy if it was like 52 54 uh that being said i don't know i'm 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 riding with it i'm enjoying it um julietta says she might consider watching it but game of thrones burned me so bad i agree i like i said i wanted to be very cynical about this one because that one took such a downward turn but i don't know i think i ultimately came down on the side of Benioff and Weiss were done with that show and tried to wipe their hands of it as like quickly and efficiently as possible and gravely misjudged their ability to do so. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the property itself is bad. Uh, It just means that they probably should have taken a different approach if they wanted to maintain that show's legacy i don't know uh like i said i i'm uh i'm digging this one so far uh it of all the big shows that are out right now with your she hulks and your andors and your lord of the Ringses and whatever i've I've tried them all i've sampled i i'm i'm working my way to them all but house of the dragon is the one that keeps me coming back um the other show that I am definitely coming back for as often as I can, as often as they'll let me, as often as they all dispense 30 minute, 30 minute increments of it is Atlanta season four. This show is back to, I think the, the level of quality that we expected, hoped for um, as much as I am a defender of season three, I do feel like that is the show's weakest season. And now that we're halfway through season four, I almost feel comfortable saying season four is better than season three of Atlanta. Uh, It's just more of the things that we wanted more time with the characters. Even if it is seeing these characters go on their solo adventures, as we did with the fifth episode worth work ethic, uh, which follows Zazie beats character, uh, on a day at chocolate studios uh in a episode that i think to me for reasons that are probably very obvious and other reasons that maybe are not so obvious felt like ext- like an echo of the famous teddy perkins episode of rest of uh of atlanta Yeah, I mean, so uh, the Mr. Chocolate episode sending up Tyler Perry's studio in Atlanta uh, just is is so, so absurd and mysterious and funny. Um, I just found this to be one of the most hilarious episodes of the show in the um, absurdism and just how 
bizarre some of their creations are so how um how funny it is that they're able to in one line echo real life in a way that most shows struggle to and then in the following line do something completely bizarre and and <laughs> unheard of and just you know unique um it never really feels like a show that's copying anything else and uh this last episode is uh some of the some of the strongest like endorsements of those qualities um i agree with ryan i could use a little more more darius i did love his storyline a couple episodes ago with the uh target lady chasing him very it follows but uh yeah i mean i i I'm confident that we'll get it in a way that I wasn't confident we'd get from season three uh, because season three, they really indulged all the different like threads they wanted to dive down. And this one feels, feels ultimately like it's coming together uh, or, or coming or focusing on uh, the characters in a way that's really nice. Like there's this one episode, a couple episodes ago involving a children's author. And even that, how it's able to play into the greater Atlanta storyline uh, feels a little bit more cohesive than a lot of the episodes in season three did as much as I loved a lot of season three. So uh, season four, some excellent stuff from Donald Glover and the team. I am not really ready yet to say goodbye to the show. So I'm like both excitedly clicking the episodes now that I'm, I'm back into it, but uh, trying to like not go through them too. I don't, I don't know how to balance it. I guess I'm just going to watch them whenever they make them available and, and rewatch them and rewatch them. Uh, Cause these ones are pretty rewatchable too. All right. So I think that's most of what I wanted to cover in terms of the, what we're watching but we will get to some new to C's in just a moment i did want to thank all the awesome intercutie plus patrons wonderful people supporting this show they are ewan julietta tim elizabeth josh ashley marion michael da matt and mr kobayashi as well as our academy level members who are tushar Cademan, Connor, Pete, Sean, May, Ricky, and What's Matter. Of course, we have to give a big thanks to those producer-level patrons who are Awkward and Udenveer. Thanks again to all of you for your support and a reminder that you too can become a member at patreon.com slash intercutpod where you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to intercut episode outlines, access to private channels on the intercut discord, and our, an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings. Uh, I think we're going to try and do that one in two weeks, but I'm going to probably just hop on the intercut uh, discord channel after this because i i don't know there's no one else here for me to talk to right now so i'll talk to all y'all uh so if you're a patron come hang out for a little bit after this stream uh let's talk about some films that are new to see coming out this weekend october 14th the accursed don't really know a whole lot about this one. It's on my radar. Why? Because it's directed by Kevin Lewis. Who is Kevin Lewis? He's the guy who did Willy's Wonderland, a movie that I did not see because um, Nick Cage, Gonzo performance, and Five Nights at Freddy's adaption thing are not like part of my Venn diagram of interests. Like I know there are a lot of people's, but like, it's not the thing that gets me to the movie theater, but I know it is for a lot of people. So I did want to put it out there. That movie is going to be available in theaters and on VOD. Um, so have it on your radar if that sounds interesting to you. Also out this weekend in limited theaters is Bitch Ass. This is a film that was a 2022 South by Southwest selection about a gang initiation that goes wrong when a group of four recruits break into a house of horror and they realize they're forced to play deadly games for their lives. I don't know. Something about this one sounded pretty good. That being said, that's not a very attractive letterbox curve. I not to, I try not to let uh, people's ratings deter me too much, but you know that's not not the most encouraging sign out there 
Uh, so Bitch Ass, another movie that is available in theaters this weekend. Also in theaters this weekend, Decision to Leave. This is the new film from Shanwook Park. Uh, who's Shanwook Park? Only the guy who made Old Boy, Handmaiden, Stoker, the rest of the Vengeance trilogy. Uh, this is a tier A filmmaker making what for a lot of people seems to be a tier A movie. I'm seeing lots of five stars, four stars, four and a half stars from my letterboxed friends. That's a that's an attractive letterbox tur- curve. If we're gonna talk about letterbox curve. Yeah, decision to leave. This is one that I unfortunately did not catch yet at the New York Film Festival or at Toronto. It played played at two film festivals that I was at. I don't know why I I decided I'm better than it than something or something, but uh, it's gonna be out soon. So I'm I'm running out of excuses. I, I'm gonna I'm going to watch this one. I'm going to watch. The, I I will sell this house today. Classic reviews agrees. Decision to leave is really great. Another film out in theaters, as far as I know. I haven't been hearing too much about it. Maybe I'm wrong about this one, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Emily. This one played at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, I did not see it, but my non-platonic roommate, Caitlin, saw it, and she said it was good. Um <laughs> I, I don't really have a whole lot else to report. It's a film about Emily Bronte um, and her life and how she came to write her famous novels. So Emily, another film to potentially put on your radar. Um, Eternal Spring, it's theaters this weekend. This is a animated film that is Canada's submission to the best international feature category at this year's oscars so maybe going for that uh flea double nomination thing i don't know halloween ends is it ending i don't think so I think they're going to keep making them. I think they're going to keep finding ways to make this one. Um, at least David Gordon Green potentially is ending his relationship with these films. I say that's good. I'm not really a fan of the David Gordon Green Halloween movies. I'm a much bigger fan of the David Gordon Green comedies or even the David Gordon Green dramas. Shout out to George Washington and Joe. Shout out to Pineapple Express. Shout out to Your Highness. You know, let's let's shout out the sitter. Shout out the sitter. Um, even you know what? Shout out Eastbound and Down. Shout out. I think he's involved in uh, Righteous Gemstones. Shout out Righteous Gemstones. Do that, not this David Gordon Green. I got invited to a Halloween end screening. Not sure if I'm gonna go. This one's going to be available on Peacock. I think that's that's kind of my speed for watching the next Halloween movie. I don't know if I need to like pay for parking, pay the tolls, walk to the theater. Not not worth it. The other Tom is a movie coming out in New York City. I believe it'll expand. Um, I just kind of like the title, The Other Tom. I feel like it, it, you know, it tells you something. It's like there's there's at least going to be two Toms in this movie. It's like I, all right, I got a lot of information to work with now. So The Other Tom. A uh, film that played at Sundance earlier this year, Piggy, about a bullied, overweight teenager who sees a glimpse of hope when her tormentors are brutally abducted by a mesmerizing stranger. This is kind of a fun, sadistic horror film. Um, I don't know if it's as successful as I'd hoped it would be, especially in terms of how it wants to sort of flip power structures. But there are some fun horror elements and uh, a couple 
surprising plot turns in this film too. You know, if you are in that hashtag hard lifestyle, worst ways to spend a little more than 90 minutes, 100 minutes. Piggy, that one's available in theaters and on VOD this weekend. So yeah, you can watch it, watch it away from home, watch it at home, whatever you like. Movie that's going to be available on Hulu is Rosaline, the love story you know, the ex you didn't. This is a new period piece, but kind of like we're not in a period piece. We we talk cool. Um, movie starring Caitlin Deaver, and they uh, it's a comedic twist on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. I'm also seeing. Didn't know that. Haven't watched the movie yet. Probably will watch it and report back next week. So uh, maybe if you want to do your homework, you'd put this one on there because I'm pretty sure we're going to check it out. I like Caitlin Deaver. Uh, I, I only hope for the best for Caitlin Deaver. Uh, think that she is in some some good stuff and some not so good stuff where she's pretty good in it. Um, definitely like her in Booksmart and... I really liked her in the Netflix series Unbelievable. But yeah, I like her in a lot of stuff. She's also going to be in Ticket to Paradise, which is coming out not too long from now. But that's not coming out this weekend, so I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun on that one. Sell by date is out in theaters and on VOD this weekend. I think Art saw this one at South by Southwest, but he did not rate it. So what he thought is a mystery. Uh, I guess that's a clever title. Like it's like a, a play on the word on the, on the term sell by date, but it's sell slash like a marry F kill situation. Uh, this hybrid doc slash narrative follows Tony winning performer and comedian Sarah Jones in multiple roles. Intriguing. I don't know. I'll ask Art his real opinions on the movie. Stars at Noon, the new Claire Denis film, is also out in limited release this weekend. Uh, it is also going to be on Hulu two weeks from now. So it is going to be streaming not too far in the future if you are hoping to catch this one. Although uh, I've heard not so great things. There are some people who liked it. A lot of people were confused by it. Um, not really, not really rocking with it. Another New York Film Festival film that I did not see yet is Till. This is the new film directed by Chonini uh, Chukwu, who directed Clemency, which has a stellar Alfred Woodard performance in it. And I've heard that she also directs Daniel Deadweiler to an excellent performance here in Till. So I'm curious to check it out. Um, that is probably going to be one of my picks for the week, but don't want to jump the gun too early. Uh, we still got to mention White Bird, A Wonder Story, which is a sequel to Wonder for some reason set in World War II. Not really sure why uh, this is happening or why Mark Foster is directing it. There was a time where Mark Foster was like, like a real like hotshot director. Dude, dude, dude did a Bond movie. He he did World War Z. I think he got fired from that movie, but his name's still on it. I like Stranger Than Fiction. Look, I put the little heart on it on Letterboxd. Um, yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised this movie's happening, but I don't know. Haven't seen it. Don't want to. Don't want to pass too harsh of a judgment on it. All right, that brings us to the picks for the week section, and in the picks for the week, uh, I have. Um, what am I gonna do? Uh, trying to do something. Uh, I have 10 picks that I'm going to share and we have started sharing a slide on our socials. Go check out our Instagram and you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, 
with our top 10 picks for every week. It's our what to watch guide. And it'll let you know where the films or shows or whatever are available in the U.S. So you can make your plans accordingly here. Let me uh, pull up last week's. Uh, if it will let me. I don't think it'll let me. Oh, well. Well, you can head over to Instagram. I'm sure you can see it. Let me run through the choices this week. Uh, number one on my list, it's obviously going to be Decision to Leave. Uh, that is a exciting, exciting new release. One of the films that the intercuties over on our YouTube poll voted for uh, as one of their most excited releases of the month in theaters. I believe it's a limited release, but going to be expanding. Uh, and it's a movie film. So hopefully not too long in the future, you can just stream that bad boy on movie. I, I have a feeling this might be in uh, a, a, a lot of best of lists towards the end of the year. So if you want to get ahead of that, check it out. Number two on my list, Tar. We talked about it a decent amount earlier in the podcast. Talked about it a little bit last week. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more in the future here on intercut when i get arturo back and we can uh break it down get into that ending just talk uh, talk tar i love talking tar tar talk you know uh that one is in theaters triangle of sadness also in theaters also we talked about it atlanta season four that one is a streamer you can check that bad boy out fx on hulu i think you have hulu hopefully if not you can probably watch it for free with commercials. I think that's how Hulu still works. I don't know. Uh, and a lot of Hulu stuff available internationally on Disney or Star. Let's check it out. Uh, Deadstream. You know, I did not talk about Deadstream earlier on the podcast, so let's maybe bring that up. Uh, Deadstream is now available on Shudder. And this is a movie that I saw back at the South by Southwest Film Festival about a disgraced internet personality who streams his uh, his one night in a haunted house uh i think it is a pretty fun use of this like new genre that's like sort of like the live stream horror thing uh if you've seen spree you've seen like one version of this uh it is you know, a film that I think is very immersed in internet culture and streaming culture. I think the way in which he interacts with the chat in the movie, it does feel like of a piece with what I see on Twitch every day or maybe not every day. Uh, but, uh, and, and it's got some like genuine surprises and scares in it. Uh, it's, you know, kind of a smaller movie, kind of a scrappy movie, only a couple people in the cast. I, I think there's times where you see how cheap it is, but it's just sort of like there's this energy to it. There's this uh, silly, scary quality to it that I think ultimately makes it a pretty winning movie and probably a solid, uh, you know, only only 87 minutes. Not bad. That's an easy watch. Check it out over on Shutter. Deadstream. Uh, another pick for the week. Another movie that, unfortunately, this one I cannot say I recommend it based on what I've seen. I haven't seen it. But I've seen some people say they are enjoying Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. And I do like Anna Lily Amirpour who's previously made films like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch, directed the pilot to Briar Patch, a series that I've talked about in the past. Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon is her latest about a young woman with psychokinetic powers who breaks out of an asylum and makes her way to New Orleans. Uh, pretty cool plot, pretty cool title. I think she's a filmmaker who has a real cool perspective and uh, just is able to put together very interesting visuals with her films and very like unexpected characters. I, I just really uh, think there's a lot to enjoy about uh, what she does. So it this was one that's on my radar. I'm going to try and watch it over the next week. I'll report back if I get a chance to see it. So uh, again, maybe put that on the, the homework list and we'll all talk about it together next week on Intercut. Uh, where else are we at on the list? I got Till on my list, the other New York Film Festival film uh, I was mentioning just moments ago. I still haven't seen it, but it is in theaters, so I will see it. I got Rosaline on my list because uh, I've got to support Caitlin Deaver, right, guys? Like, it's Caitlin Deaver. 
Yeah, Caitlin. Um, uh, and finally, I got film festivals. Uh, most notably, I'm going to shout out the Chicago International Film Festival, where Arturo will be for most of the next two weeks. Uh, catching lots of interesting movies, lots of the films that we talked about that were at TIFF. And some of the films that we talked about that are at New York Film Festival are playing the Chicago International Film Festival. So if you are uh, in Chicago or near Chicago or or just want to make an impromptu trip to Chicago, then there's some movies there for you to check out. Uh, we'll be back with a lot of picks next week. Uh, and maybe Arturo will up, may have, have some updates on his Twitter. So go ahead and follow him at, at let me explain. I do think we can recommend Dirtbag, the short film directed by friend of the pod, Karsten Runquist, uh, a very fun short film that Karsten did us the pleasure, did us the honor of uh, sending us a link to. Uh, it's a really, really, I think a really well-made film uh, that has a real sense of, of like how it wants to be told, how it wants to be paced. Karsten uh, is developing the style that I do think you can see traces back through the last short film he did. Uh, and this one is, is elevating that. I just think it's just a very like charming, heartfelt, sweet film. So uh, it will be online if it's not already, but if you want to go see it, and I think Karsten is actually going to be like at the screenings, check it out. Chicago Film Festival, Dirtbag. Uh, but... Hey, if you're not in Chicago or you can't go to Chicago, a lot of the film festivals are popping up in various places over the next couple of weeks because we're at a point in the calendar when your big festivals like your Venices, like your Torontos, like your New Yorks, like your Londons, now that they've all either kicked off or have finished and wrapped up, these films start to make their way around the globe to different festivals, to, to you know, uh, smaller, play, uh, smaller markets and places where you might not ordinarily get access to this level of film. I know just in my general vicinity that the Hamptons International Film Festival has been going on for a few days and will be going on for the rest of the week. Um, that beyond that, uh, the Montclair Film Festival in New Jersey is starting up in 11 days and tickets just went on sale a couple days ago. Uh, they've got some awesome films like Glass Onion, The Good Nurse, The Inspection, She Said, The Whale. I'm going to be checking out The Whale, I think, White Noise, uh, Women Talking. So a lot of really interesting films available at Montclair. Uh, if you are further south than that, the Philadelphia International Film Festival has, oh, that's the letter B. Uh, let's, 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 let's fix that. Uh <laughs> Trying to pull up websites uh, for the live stream. 31st International Philadelphia Film Festival starts on October 19th, and tickets only went on sale today? Yes, today, I think. A um, lot of really good movies in the schedule there, including Banshees of Inisherin, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, uh, Glass Onion as well. So just because... Uh, so as these festivals... You know, as you can tell, these festivals are like on in all sorts of places aren't necessarily like the big prestige stuff, but they're getting all these films we're talking about. So, you know, search your local area, search your local movie theater, your local art house theater, see if they're associated with anything like this. You might be surprised to find some really interesting stuff making its way around right now. Uh, and hopefully you can catch up on some of the movies we've been talking about and share, share your opinions with us. Cause I'm always excited to hear when people, uh, get to watch the movies that we've hyped up the movies that we got to see and got really excited about and, and hope to, you know, pass on to all of you. Uh, yeah. So, uh, classic reviews saying that he wanted to go to London film festival, but all the tickets were gone. Yeah. And it, that is something worth noting that like tickets to these things get snapped up a lot faster than you might expect. It's worth not just looking up when the film festival is, but when those tickets go on sale, uh, maybe even getting a membership so that you get early access and, and email rem reminders. Because uh, if you really want to check out these movies, you know, uh, these are fun places to do it. And I know just 
from my past month or so of going to a couple different film festivals, like it is just really amazing to be in envir an environment with a bunch of people who care deeply about these types of movies. Uh, often when I get a chance to go see a film like Tar or a film like Triangle of Sadness and it is not festival season, I end up in a movie theater with three or four other people scattered around the theater and maybe one of them uh, will let out an occasional chuckle. And it, it's a different experience to get to go see a Robin Ostlund comedy full in a room full of people laughing at it. So, you know, it, it's sometimes the best chance to, to, uh, to catch some of these movies and, or catch them with like a responsive audience. I don't know. Uh, hope, hopefully there's some stuff around you. Uh, if not, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe you need to move and go to a place that harbors your love. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be uh, ableist or elitist or, or whatever ist I'm, I'm being right now. I just, I just like movies, you guys. I just want to talk about movies. Uh, but I don't know if I have a whole lot else to talk about in terms of movies this week. Uh, if you want to see some more of my movie opinions, you could follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's Z S H E V. I C H and check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed, not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercut pod, where you can catch our bright smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Weekend Must Watch streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday. And please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much requested five-star review. Uh, shout out to our, you know what? We we got a little time. I can, I can do a more uh thorough shout out than that i i don't need to breeze through the the shout outs i can shout out brunei i can shout out south africa i can shout out czech republic i can shout out ghana too and i also want to shout out kayla allen 33 who said that intercut is the best movie podcast uh kayla said these guys are amazing they are very reliable and always have good recommendations for movie and tv shows 100 percent would recommend to a friend thanks guys for all that you do thank you kayla for actually listening to me and leaving us the much requested five star review over on apple podcasts uh it does really help us to grow the show and just you know puts a smile on my face makes me happy gives me that little boost of serotonin that i i so am sorely lacking otherwise so so thank you thank you so much like our facebook instagram twitter pages all of them uh are at intercode pod as well as the discord which you can find a link to in the description notes of the show also check out our patreon at patreon.com slash intercut pod to get updates on the show and behind the scenes access but any of our social media will get you updates from art from me from all the guests we feature here on intercut throughout the week thanks again for tuning in and until next time i'm all alone there's no one here beside me makes me just think of uh shrek and donkey i don't know I'll see you on the uh on the Discord guys. <laughs> <laughs>